I'm Michael Brennis, and this is the Showbiz Roundup. Zach Jones is a guitarist who thrives on variety, as evidenced by the range of groups he plays with and the repertory he plays with his own trio. He's also someone who believes in giving back, which he does through teaching at a couple of Ohio colleges, through an online presence focused on education, and on his own guitar-oriented podcast, Beyond the Frets. My guest tonight is guitarist Zach Jones, who will be bringing his trio all the way from Ohio to perform at Audio for the Arts on Friday, January 20th. Zach, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Michael. You bet. Uh, Let's start by giving folks some info about the Zach Jones trio. Are these musicians you've been playing with for a long time? What's your repertoire like? Yeah, so the Zach Jones Trio has really been my artistic outlet the past couple of years, probably since 2018. I realized that the trio format is just really my favorite to explore in. And I really do mean explore because I like playing music, anything from Miles Davis to Randy Newman to Hank Williams to Nora Jones to David Bowie and my own originals. It's just a huge swath of music uh, that I like to arrange and kind of, you know, transport into this jazz and improvised realm. And the musicians I'm playing with, I met in grad school. This is, I have many iterations of the trio, but this has been my more recent one. This is a great drummer named Brad Billmeyer and a bassist Dylan Bretz Jr. And we were all going to Bowling Green State University, getting our masters like 2020 through 2022. So we played a lot together and these guys are just some of the best to work with. Is the Madison show part of a tour or are you guys coming up just for this show? Yeah, it's a little mini run. So the day before we're playing at Merriman's Playhouse in South Bend, Indiana. And then the day after, I guess on the 21st, we're playing at Slowpoke Lounge in Spring Green. Spring Green, yep. Mm-hmm. There's some kind of synergy happening between Madison and Spring Green. Folks are taking advantage of that, too. I like it. Yeah, it'll be my first time. Well, no, that's not true. I've played Madison with another band, but it'll be my first time with the trio finally. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward. Awesome. Every Midwest state seems to have its own jazz ecosystem, right? Um, what's it like in Ohio? What can you tell us about your scene in Ohio? Yeah, I, I very much agree. And I think there's a lot of power in regional scenes in general, especially with like this, I guess, democratization of getting yourself out there and, you know, really kind of making your mark regardless of where you're at. I think that that really makes being in a city like Columbus, Ohio, where I've been for over 10, 11 years, makes it really viable, not only to be in my local scene, but to, you know, bounce out and do tours and, you know, get bigger opportunities. And I'd say as far as my scene in Columbus, that's, you know, the most I can speak to, it's, it's so open to anything. Like there's really no, there's no bad vibes, which I just love so much. Everyone is so supportive and everyone has such a deep respect for each other and a respect for the music. And that's really one of the biggest things. People just really respect the, um, the the artistry that goes into the mu- this music and they and they play to the music they know what the music deserves and you know people show up prepared and you know willing to collaborate and just have a good time and i would say the the genre boundaries i mean there really are none i mean my favorite musicians 
they play everything from avant-garde fusion to like playing bill withers covers to playing brazilian music i mean it's all over the place of course everyone kind of has their little niche but we're all very it's a very unique situation in, in my opinion where everyone is just is just down to learn about music no matter what it's called or what it sounds like or what it looks like what are the audiences like do people follow you from gig to gig or do they come to every show you know, we have great audiences in Columbus and I've made so many friends over the years that have become like Zach Jones fans. I mean, it's kind of weird to say, but I've, I've just made so many, so many awesome and so many awesome, met so many awesome people that way. And of course, you know, I don't exist without that other side because I, I truly think performing is this kind of synchronicity between myself and the bandmates and of course an audience and they feed me as much as I feed them. And we just have fantastic listening audiences in Columbus, you know, I mean, it's not, not every gig is, you know, an audience that sit down totally quiet, uh, you know, lapping up every note of my solo, but oftentimes there is, and, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't ask for a better situation. Did you find the guitar or did the, did the guitar find you, so to speak? What led you to devote your professional life to playing and teaching the guitar and the other elements of music that you teach? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, it is, I don't know how old and trite and cliche it is to say that music found me, but I, I also don't know really what else I would do. Um, I found music very early. I was six when I started just kind of picking out melodies on on my grandparents' piano. And my parents were like, well, he has a proclivity to this, so maybe we'll get him lessons. And I was very interested and I was composing music at a young age then. Um, nothing crazy, but I, I liked in creating, composing, inventing music. And by the time when I was like 11, 12, that's when my dad started showing me like Aerosmith and Metallica and more rock and metal. And I was like, okay, I really need to pick up the guitar. And I think, you know, all those years I knew I wanted to be a professional musician and really had no idea what that meant. And sometimes I still don't know what that means, but um, that's just kind of, it was just kind of a singular path. It was almost like not even decision. It was just like, yeah, I'm going to go to music school. So that's what I'm going to do. Here we go. Um, so yeah, without, without being too cliche, I, I do think it found me and I, and I do consider it, uh, you know, a, a higher purpose, or at least that's what keeps me going. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like you weighed the pluses and minuses and agonized over the decision you were just like i'm going to music school music is the thing yeah i mean there's certainly you know i still get times where i where i weigh the pluses and minuses because it's it's not easy but then i also remember well i don't go to work every day i go to play you know like whenever i'm saying bye to my girlfriend it's like all right i gotta go play and not a lot of people get to say that and so i'm i'm, I'm grateful for that every day yeah um i was struck when i was doing some research for this interview that you have a like a three-pronged philosophy for when you'll take a gig. And I, I have my own version of that that I developed over the years, and I haven't really seen other people talk about it. So my version, um, I sort of visualize three VU meters like you'd see on an old mixing console or something, uh, like signal meters. One is, for, one is for money, two is for music, and three is for the hang. And the idea is that at least one of them has to be pegged into the red to say yes to a gig. And you have your version that's just slightly different. Can you explain your version to us and maybe give us some examples of the lessons you had to learn along the way to develop <laughs> that philosophy? Yeah, absolutely. I, I just think, 
Okay, so so the three prong thing. This this is in regards to when I get a gig offer nowadays. I think of three things that I want to consider, uh, and, and I like to hit two out of the three. But also, as as you said, if there's one that really is overwhelming, uh, that can kind of tip the odds. So the first one is. Um, is it going to be fun? I mean, that's always the first thing I think of because because music, it's got to be joyful, even if it's, you know, of course, like there's many moments where it's, it is serious music in that I've spent my life working on it and it can be very you know difficult and depending on the situation. But is it fun at the end of the day? That's really important to me. And that kind of goes into like the hang. Is it fun? Is the music fun? Is it a good hang? That's always top. Um, and then, you know, is it good for my career in any way? Like, is it going to, am I going to meet a bunch of new people or, or am I playing with certain cats that I've always wanted to play with? Or am I going to be in a new city, that kind of thing. And then the third one, of course, you can't get away from it is, you know, what's the bread going to look like? What's the money? And of course, I spent a lot of years where that was the sole tipping point. You know, like playing wedding gigs, playing event gigs, you know, doing all sorts of crazy stuff. I said yes to everything for throughout all my 20s, which I think is the right thing to do. But as I got older, I realized, well, if I keep saying yes to everything, I'm so spread thin, I, I really can't develop myself as an artist and develop what what I want to do musically and aesthetically. And that's, that's kind of winning at this point, um, which is why it's important for me to to accept the power of no and kind of go with that, uh, you know, three pronged decision making that I that I do. Mm -hmm. Well, it's also good that you I mean, you have teaching gigs, you're uh, adjunct at a couple of colleges. So at least, you know, you're not, um, I don't know, worrying over every 50 bucks or something like that. No, and, and that's very much by design. And I, I, I'm a strong proponent of because unfortunately, education, it can be, well, that's always a fallback. You know, I can always just teach and make a little money. And I think I, I really respect the power of education and I know how important a role it was in my life. So I, I purposely teach because I love it. I absolutely love it. And to me right now, having that stability and the passion in teaching is allowing me to take space and not do every gig and be able to do a little run out in Wisconsin and do a tour and record and all those things. Mm -hmm. And so currently that balance is where I'm at. You know, three or four years ago, I was only gigging. I wasn't teaching at all. So who knows what it's going to look like five years from now? And that's one of that's one of the fun but agonizing things about being in the music industry is that you kind of shift what hat you're wearing, and that can be very fun and engaging. And I like that change, but it can also be a little uh, destabilizing at times. So it's just it's all about a balance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about social media. You're pretty active on Instagram, about seventeen thousand followers which seems like a lot to me. Yeah. How does this benefit you as either as an artist or as a teacher? Does it drive your career in any way? Do you find crossover between your online activity and real life? Do people find you online and then seek you out for lessons and gigs and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, you know, truthfully, I've had a tenuous relationship with social media. I think I'm 29, so I've just been completely entrenched in that in that lifestyle. I, I don't remember a time basically before the internet or even before social media, I guess when I was in elementary school, but um, I, I see the value of it. And it's certainly been really amazing for my career. I've had a lot of just really interesting connections and opportunities that have come solely through the internet and meeting people because there is a really awesome and unique 
community, especially with, with guitar, guitarists in general, just are always connected in ways that I think other instrumentalists aren't, aren't mostly because of gear. We're obsessed with gear. <laughs> um, there's this like fetishization of guitar gear and that kind of bonds everyone together. But there's also a really cool community of educators and players and just, just like this whole thing happening. And I, and I really have been able to tap into that and make so many friends uh, and connections and professional opportunities. Like I got my like guitar endorsement deal through that and just a whole bunch of other things that have been serendipitous um, and wouldn't have happened otherwise. And and yeah, like I, I get students all the time directly through social media. I've, I've done group master classes. I've done, you know, private, private lessons. I've gotten gigs, you know, pretty much you name it. But of course, the other end of the spectrum is, you know, just spending too much time on it or investing too much energy and, uh, you know, kind of worrying about what people think and all of that, you know, it's, that's also its own wrestling match, uh, that I'm trying to, you know, kind of grapple with. Cause I, I, I think inherently it has a lot of power for good, but there's certainly a lot of reasons to kind of be at arm's length sometimes. So mm -hmm. do you feel like on balance, you've sort of found a thriving community of guitarists online? Oh Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. Like, I, the reason why, long story short, I had an Instagram uh, like before 2020, and I and was very obsessed with it, um, especially like kind of wanting to in a way that's like was showing off. Like, oh, here's my great guitar skills, blah blah blah. That's how I wanted to present myself. Then I completely deleted it in 2020, and was like, all right, I'm done with this. And then I I got back on and decided that education was going to be my focus, because for the most part, I, I wasn't as caught up in the ego of it. I was just sharing information because I, I personally have seen, I have a lot of gripes about jazz and guitar education in general. And there's a lot of, there was just some holes I thought, or things that weren't being addressed in a way that I thought I wanted some demystification to happen. Not that I have all the answers, but I realized that through this process, people were resonating with what I had to say. And that's kind of guided how I've kind of curated what I do. And it's, and it's honestly made me a great, a better, a better, not great, a better educator because I have to impart information in less than a minute or so. And a lot of people say, wow, like I've never heard this concept broken down so clearly in a minute. And to me, that, that is just really helpful for me to, to grow as an educator, whether it's a one minute Instagram reel or, you know, I'm teaching the big band at a university. So it's, it's all helping. We have to acknowledge one more thing about you. And this is kind of a first for the Showbiz Roundup. But you have your own podcast called Beyond <laughs> the Frets. Yes. I mean, the world gets kind of meta at this point. Anyway, <laughs> um, your first guest was Ben Maunder, who was here last yeah. year with Bad Plus. Oh, and you've man. had other high-powered guitarists on your show. Um, tell us the story behind Beyond the Frets. Behind Beyond the Frets. That's a good. That's a good uh, documentary. But one day, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll, uh, I'll send you a little uh, points on the back end there for that. Thank you. Um, so I mean, because of that guitar community, like I said, like I, I've met so many people over the years, and you know, we all interact in some in mostly informal ways or, or very brief ways because it's the internet, and. I went to grad school in 2020 and I just always had this idea in the back of my mind, like I would really love to just kind of sit down with some of these cats that I admire and like really get into it with them. Like I don't really do any biographical stuff because most of the people like, yeah, they're pretty high profile or you can find, you know, how did you pick up the guitar? Like that kind of thing was easy for me. So it's like, yeah, what happens when I sit down with Ben Maunder and like get into some stuff? What happens when I sit down with Adam Levy and like, 
or um, Bobby Broom and like talk about the state of jazz education. So I really just kind of wanted hard hitting conversation. Well, I don't want to say hard hitting. That's like stupid journalist talk. Um, I, it, Engaging. Yeah, yeah, engaging conversations that that really just went went deeper than surface level, and and specifically, usually the lens is through education and just kind of figuring out where we are in jazz and guitar education and how that relates to someone's career. And then I also love talk. I love asking them all, like, who are your mentors, um, you know, like teaching mentors and how did they influence how you teach? So we get into a lot of that. And so basically the podcast started because I had, I was in a guitar pedagogy class in grad school and one of our projects was like to interview someone. So I was like, Oh, this is the perfect impetus. My first, interview that I did was with Barry Green, great guitarist in Florida. And then I was like, this should just be a thing. So I just kind of forced myself to, you know, keep calling people. Um, I've had a couple hiatuses, but I'm, I'm back on the horse with it now. So it's been so much fun. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Um, how do you connect with your guests? Do you have to go through agents or do, can you just find them on the internet somewhere? No, I mean, that's the really cool thing. Like all, everyone I've I've had so far, like I already have a connection with for the most part. Like I knew Ben because I brought him out to Columbus for a solo show. Like all these, I have little tangential or friendships with everyone. And I was just able to email or text or call me like, hey, can can we talk? Um, and of course, being in the in the era of COVID, it was it was just a good time for people that, that had time sitting around. Uh, more or less. So, um, you know, I'd, I'd certainly like to reach outside of my sphere and kind of get some get some bigger taps some bigger names that I might have to go through a press agent for. But, uh, you know, right now I'm just kind of interested in, in talking to anyone. It's 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 mostly it's a it's a selfish endeavor because I just get to pick the brains of my mentors and people that I admire. So it's super fun. And the fact that I also am able to share it with other people is just uh, really fun. Um, without giving away spoilers, I suppose, do you have anybody coming up that, that pe people would be interested in hearing about or, or who's on your shortlist for, for the next guests? Yeah, shortlist um, would be Peter Bernstein, um, great guitarist from New York. Um, you know, that's a that's a good question. I mean, I would love to talk to... Um, there's a cat named Brad Good in uh, Colorado. He's a great jazz educator. And we kind of had like a one-on-one -on -one personal talk. And he has a really, really kind of, um, uh, how do I put it? They have a very different way of, of the way that he leads his program, his jazz, his jazz degree. And I, I definitely would like to dive into that. Um, I've heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brad's, Brad's awesome. Yeah. He's great. Well, Zach Jones, thanks so much for coming on the show tonight. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. We're really looking forward to your show. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Michael. That's it for this edition of the Showbiz Roundup. Our theme music is a composition by me performed by Outside the Sphere, an experimental duo consisting of Tony Barba and myself, with special guest Sebastian Brennis on trombone. If you'd like more information about this show or any of the past or future shows presented by Bluestem Jazz, you can head over to bluestemjazz.org. And you can follow my doings or be in touch via rattletickbuzz.com. Catch you later. <laughs>